Hello and welcome to the Mondanac Center. This is the Mondanac Center podcast and you are listening to an episode of our Spirits and Seekers series where we interview spiritual seekers about their spiritual practices and their paranormal experiences. I'm joined here today by Lilla. She is a multi-talented individual who, among many other things, is a talented tarot reader and artist. She is also a shamanic apprenticeship student of ours at the Mondanac Center. For those of you who don't know, we have apprenticeships in shamanism and spirit craft available at the center, as well as a complete line of online courses on witchcraft. So drop by the Mondanac Center at mondanac.com to check these out. Now, without further ado, let's jump into the interview with Lilla. Hello and welcome to the Mondanac Center. This is the first in our series and I'm joined here today by Lilla. How are you today, Lilla? I'm good. Yeah, I'm excited to do this interview. Yes, this is one of our first interviews that we're doing here. And uh, so I'm probably going to be a little rusty. So don't worry about how you're doing, because I think I'll be the one who's the rustiest. So don't worry about it. Um, so where do you join? Where are you joining us from, Lilla? Um, I'm in Chicago. How's Chicago right now? We just had two days of nonstop snow. So it's kind of like that groggy feeling when you're like the snow is kind of finally clearing and like people are starting to shovel. Um, I'm just glad I don't have to commute to work anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Last night they were calling for 14 inches of snow where I am right now. And yeah, well, thankfully it didn't all come through. I think we got about eight inches, but uh, still it's. That's it's, still a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We got. Um, but yeah, you know, thankfully we're out in the country, so we don't have to go anywhere and all that. I guess yeah. in Chicago, it kind of closes things down, doesn't it? Yeah, well, you know, this, um, just to make a brief tangent, but this winter season has been an interesting one for me because I realized that due to the fact that until this year, I've been either in school or I've been working a job that's not remote, mm -hmm. um, I gradually started to hate winter. Like I really started to get out of touch with the love of the seasons turning, you know? And I saw winter as like an enemy because it was so unpleasant to have to ride your bike when it's mm -hmm. snowing um, and all these things. But this year I've been working remote. And so I've actually kind of come to find a love for winter again and like appreciate that it is just part of this wheel of seasons turning and that there's actually this really like beautiful stillness to it you know because there's not a million people outside and there's just like a quiet and this is terrible but there's so much snow on the ground you can't see the trash which um it makes me feel good on some level i guess even though you know the trash is still there um but so in in its own way like this year has been interesting in that respect that i've realize that hey winter isn't evil we're just put most of us are in this unnatural lifestyle rhythm where we're mm -hmm. forced to go outside during a time when we should be allowed to kind of stay inside and be cozier we're on a very fresh. artificial lifestyle right i mean the, yeah. the fact that we can have fresh fruit in winter is is very yeah. strange yeah. and it's very new for for humanity right it's usually yeah. winter would have been this time when we head inside and 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 take the time to do other activities and almost hibernate right and, and yeah it's very odd yeah, for us to be on the go 
Yeah, even on the the food note, I've been reading because I'm I'm interested in like traditional Chinese medicine and um, like nutritional health and stuff like that. Hmm. And there was a really interesting book I was reading um, by a Japanese guy um, talking about like sort of classical Eastern diagnosis methods for chronic illness and stuff. And he was saying that like one of the big problems is that we don't pay attention to what foods we eat in what seasons anymore because we can eat strawberries in the winter. You know, we can eat. Um, you know, anything, anytime we want, but that traditionally there were reasons for why we would eat a certain food at a certain time of year because certain meridian systems, certain organs get active during certain times of year and others shut down. That's just the way it is. It's a, you know, it's a constant cycle like that. Just like we feel that pull to be cozy, to stay inside, to sleep more in the winter. Like that's not bad. Like we're, we were trained to think in this modern lifestyle that that's bad, that we need to be at that energy level and we need to do all these things. But actually that's good. It's just the, it's just the wheel turning. But I thought that was really interesting. I mean, obviously eating like a strawberry cake once is not going to kill you in the middle of winter, but just the idea that you could be sort of consistently feeding yourself mm -hmm. unseasonal foods. And that could be further throwing off that balance. I thought that was really interesting. Having an actual cycle in what you're eating and how you're eating it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, because in the modern Western diet, it very much is like you could have the same thing every day for, for all year, right? Yeah. A lot of people do. <laughs> they, they have the same staples do, yeah. that they have yeah. every day. And there's no cycle yeah. to that. There's no change over the season. So I can see how that could be very... Yeah very positive thing to bring in for sure for yeah. sure so um i guess how would you define yourself and your relationship with spirituality like what what dynamics do you have coming together in who you are as a spiritual practitioner and and as you connect with these things i know you have tarot. um yeah <laughs> Yeah, that's that's there's a lot of different things going on. Mm -hmm. I guess I was raised really quickly. I was raised in a very, very intellectual head mind, cynical, mm -hmm. you know, scientific, um, very intelligent, but extremely rational, like all left brain type of family. Um, and so it's been this gradual process for me of kind of coming back to what feels like something that's always been there. But I didn't receive any support mm -hmm. for that. In fact, you know, I received um, ridicule, right, as, as I was growing up and sort of exploring these things for some of these practices. Um, so yeah, you mentioned the tarot. That's definitely my point of departure. Um, started that in middle school with a friend, um, and I was just really drawn to it. Like, if you can, you know, if you can tell the future, or answer questions with cards, like, why wouldn't, why isn't everyone doing this? Um, and it's funny, you look back and you see these bits and pieces, like, you know, because I wasn't raised with this around me, I wasn't lucky enough to have, you know, parents who encouraged that or who practiced these things with me. You look back and you see these bits and pieces, right, of things that are kind of like, um, it, it's like the the foundations or the things that you were yearning for, right? But they're all, they're just in little pieces at that point and you're not really recognizing them. So mm. one of them is definitely the tarot. Um, another one, I remember like as a kid, like coming up with this deity and like, you know, like offering things to this deity, um, and like journaling about that, um, or or just yeah, the, the the sleep paralysis, like strange things happening in your sleep, mm -hmm. and um, and definitely just a sense of um, animism for yeah, all this stuff that's around you that other people are kind of ignoring and not putting any um, importance on, but that you feel like there's something in these things. Um, and definitely just kind of a, a general, like a, a greater just curiosity about like, I loved ghost stories. I loved hearing about people who have those kind of experiences. 
Um, and I was definitely scared of them. And that's probably partly why I never had them myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always thought it was really cool when people told those kind of stories. And I never questioned them. I know, I mean, obviously that can that can be pushed to an extreme and that can be bad. But it's funny for me, like when people tell these kind of stories, um, well, I mean, sometimes you can tell it's, you know, it's made up or whatever. But mm-hmm. most of the time when people tell these kind of stories, no question. I just believe them. Like I know what they're saying is true. Mm -hmm. Um, and I guess for some people that, that marks you as being, you know, gullible or crazy or whatever. But for me, that was never a question. Like when I heard these things, I was like, oh yeah, this stuff is real. Just why isn't it happening to me? (laughs) You know? (laughs) Well, I think the number one thing to remember when we hear these kind of stories is that our society has this ridicule factor to it. And so for a lot of these stories, the question is, why would you be making this up? especially when there's like (laughs) high strangeness involved in it, right? It's like, you know, you can tell a ghost story, but like when it's involves synchronicities and all these other things, you know, you're not going to get ridiculed. So why, why make it up unless you actually, you know, want to get off your chest because something very strange happened to you, right? Now, the thing that I need to jump on there is you tell me that you're telling me that you made up a deity, when you were yeah. young and you were giving offerings to it. And okay, I need to hear more about this. What was happening there? Um, well, honestly, it was a very, unfortunately, it was a very short incident because mm-hmm. I, again, I think it was something that um, like I, I really spontaneously just wanted to do and it just happened and it felt good. But again, I didn't get any, I didn't get any positive feedback from that. And I didn't feel like it was something I could talk about. And at some point it just, you know, like kids move on, right? Like their friends show them new stuff. Like they, they get sidetracked and that just kind of happened, I think. Um, so it was, it was probably, you know, just like in the span of a couple months or like during a year. Um, but yeah, it was a very, um, it was a very benevolent, um, uh, I wouldn't necessarily say animal based, but it was kind of, it had the energy of like a kind, warm animal energy. Um, definitely kind of an Eastern, an Eastern feeling, um have you seen are you familiar with um the Miyazaki film like my neighbor Totoro no but I, I've seen trailers for it okay so yeah, I guess it's, it's yeah pretty, I see it's that. pretty popular like in pop culture um and basically the main character is this this creature who he's not you know he's vaguely like an animal but he's mm-hmm. not any animal that we know and he's sort of he's quite large and he's round and he's mm-hmm. fluffy and warm and he's kind of quirky and funny but he's overall extremely kind um but there's also this sense of like hidden power right like you don't want to anger him mm-hmm. because he's a nature spirit and if you if you do something like cut down his tree or disrespect his land or whatever he might sort of lash back at you so i think this might have been sort of subconsciously modeled on that kind of energy okay um definitely like a very japanese feeling to that um i'm half japanese so i think that's always been a big influence um but his name was tau Hmm. um and yeah and i don't know it was just it was just sort of this presence that um i imagined or i i honestly don't remember how it started uh or or like the the inception of that um it's it's a it's a funny thing thinking back on it now Mm -hmm. i just remember that at some point he was there and then at some point he was gone you know um but i remember journaling like you know like oh today i offered a pair to tau and i think he liked it um so it's just a honestly just a little blip in in that childhood um and it didn't really didn't really go anywhere because of you know my background and where i was but it was just uh yeah it was a it was a fun little fun little thing that happened when i was younger and there's so many interesting possibilities there could have been something reaching out to you that you picked up on it could have been you started playing you put the intention out there and it might have attracted something 
it might have been so many different things happening. I guess a lot of that would yeah. be lost in the in the depths of time. But how old yeah. were you at the time, do you think? Gosh, that's a good question. Maybe like 13. I honestly, it's pretty blurry. I would say about 12 or 13. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That is, that is something. And so at the same time during your childhood, you're also having sleep paralysis events. And what, was that and around the same age? And sleepwalking. <laughs> so was that, was that a younger age or about that same time as well? Um, it definitely overlapped with that time, but mm. I've been having the sleep paralysis, sleepwalking, sleep talking since I was much younger, mm -hmm. um, since yeah, a very young age. And that definitely runs in my family. My dad, uh, my dad would do that as well when he was a kid. Yeah. Wow. And so these sleepwalking incidents, um, or actually, I guess let's start with the sleep paralysis. Um, cause that's always the much creepier one. Uh, how did yeah. that, how did that manifest to you? How did, how did that uh, occur to you? And it, it, do have you had it since or, uh? Did, did yeah, um, I definitely haven't had it as much recently. I think now it happens on the scale of maybe a couple times a year. Mm. Um, it's pretty rare at this point. Um, but it's always very memorable. Um, and I think when I was younger, hmm, how did I interpret it? I don't know. I guess it's just you don't really question these things when you're younger. Um, mm. It just was it was very strange. I also thought it was fun, honestly. Um, like I wanted it to happen more. I still want it to happen more. Um, but at the same time, it was a little scary because, um, typically I would see a figure, like a human figure, either in my doorway, in my room, sometimes it was in my bed. Um, and that one, when it was right next to me on my pillow, that would scare me because, um, it, it felt almost like violating, like, wait, what? Someone's in my bed with me. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's so real. I mean, if you have not had sleep paralysis, it's hard to describe, but it's really like it, it's absolutely unquestionably real. And it's so strange because, at least for me, it only lasts for the space of maybe maybe 30 seconds, maybe a minute. It's hard mm -hmm. to say, but not very long, not, not more than a couple minutes tops for sure. And over the course of as those seconds tick away, that reality crumbles. It literally dissolves. Um, and it does make you question, like, could the reality, it always makes me question at least, could the reality that we're in right now that we perceive as so stable and so unquestionable, could that also dissolve in the space of a couple seconds, um, given the correct stimulus, right, or the changes to your, your brain state? Because it really, it goes from there is 100% someone in my bed next to me to, wait, there's nothing there, mm -hmm. you know? Absolutely. Um, and it's not like you see the person get up and go or anything. They just vanish. Um, so it's it's a very, very strange experience. Um, and depending on what you see, it can be really cool and it can be really scary. Um, sometimes the figure is somebody that I know. Hmm. Um, and that's less scary. It's more just confusing. Like, how did you get here? Um, sometimes like it's my cats and then it's just like, <laughs> if it's my cats, I'm like, oh crap, they're, they're in the room and they're not, they're not supposed to be here and they're eating my plants or something. They're usually causing mischief, which is funny. Um, and then I realize that they're not actually there and I'm like, oh, okay. Um, or it can be something, um, just kind of mysterious and cool. Like I, once I saw just these beautiful sparkling lights, like colored fairy lights, um, all over my pillow. Oh. Um, and then, yeah, again, they just faded away. Um, so it can really range a spectrum of emotional reactions depending on what you see. Um, but yeah, that's, that's my experience with sleep paralysis. <laughs> Very interesting. And with your sleep paralysis, did it tend to happen before you fell asleep or after you woke up? Um, so did, did it happen? Oh, like... absolutely. Go ahead. Yeah. 
No, it never happens before I fall asleep. For mm. me, it's always I'll wake up in the middle of the night. Um, I'll wake up and I don't know why. And mm. um, I'll wake up and notice something is different, right? That there's someone in bed with me, that there's lights, that my cats are there. That's always what it is. I wake up and it's like something's drawing my attention to it. Yeah, that's the only experience I've ever had. Wow. Um, yeah, that can always be quite a frightening thing. But it sounds like you've had some pretty cool encounters with it as well. And so now, nowadays, now that you're uh, uh, quite a ways removed from that, you say that it's happening still a couple of times a year. Is it still the same type of um, same type of formula, same type of beings that you're seeing? Or yeah, um, it yeah, it hasn't really changed, and it's still like I'll just wake up in the middle of the night. Um, again, yeah, it just it hasn't happened super recently. Um, but yeah, it seems to follow follow a pretty typical kind of pattern. That there's something in the room and it's it wants my attention, I guess, whatever it is. Yeah. Interesting. I find it very funny that you say two or three times a year is very rare for you. <laughs> for most of us, oh. that's very that's very uh, frequent. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's I, true. I think I had one episode maybe oof, like five years ago. <laughs> it's not not very common oh, for yeah. me. Yeah. yeah. But um, that's fantastic. And um, with the with the sleepwalking, so I guess that was kind of happening at the same time. Yeah. Do, you, do you still sleepwalk? I, I haven't sleepwalked since I was probably 13. I sleep talk mm. still oh, rather yes. consistently, but I have not sleepwalked or done anything in my sleep to my knowledge. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. And did you ever have any strange things go on with your sleepwalking or anything? Like, uh, I guess there's, you know, sleepwalking is already pretty weird, but uh, did you ever like talk to anyone that wasn't supposed to be there or anything like that throughout the years? That's a good question. Um, I know, I mean, obviously, so the sleepwalking or sleep talking is only ever reported to me when someone's there. So when I was a kid, it was my parents. And then, you know, as I got older, it would be like my partners. Um, or I guess if I was having a sleepover with friends. Um, I know when I was a kid, typically what would happen is my parents would hear me um, talking to someone. They said it sounded like I was having a conversation, sometimes an argument. I would get quite loud sometimes. Um, sometimes they'd hear me singing. Um, and sometimes I would come out to where they were cause they'd still be awake when I went to bed. They'd, I'd come out and I would talk to them. Um, there's one like famous family joke where my mom was like, okay, you're asleep. We need to take you back to bed. Like it's time to bed. And I was like, I'm not asleep. I'm talking to you. Like, how could I be asleep if I'm talking to you? <laughs> um, so I definitely had this like, you know, mischievous sense of humor, even when I was asleep. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any stories of me like talking distinctly to someone like who's not there although mm-hmm. i mean i guess i am talking to someone so it remains uh questionable who that is um, but it, it does often seem like i'm discoursing with somebody yeah um and from what you know recent partners have said as well um and i'm often it seems like i'm often laughing about things like i seem to often find things funny in my sleep <laughs> um although i have no idea what yeah well what i find very interesting there with the with the sleepwalking, with the sleep paralysis, um, you're very. It's easy for you to enter that liminal state, you know, that that state between awake and asleep. And it's just, I find that's a very important and powerful thing when you're doing spiritual, living a spiritual mm. life, because you can really, yeah. you know, connect and find that intersection, that crossroads, that you know, different areas of consciousness come together. So that's uh, that's that's quite a powerful thing you have going there now yeah well can i can i interject one little anecdote about that 
Um, so, well, I hope, I hope this isn't like too far out or anything. I mean, uh, marijuana just got legalized in Illinois. So this is a marijuana story. Go for it. Um, but, um, so when I was a teenager, the first time that I had THC actually have an effect on me, um, I was terrified actually, because what it felt like to me was exactly what you described. I got stuck in a liminal zone and I'd never been there before. Um, it felt exactly like the state right between sleeping and waking and it was neither nor mm -hmm. and I just I wasn't familiar with being in that place for so long because normally we're only there for a couple seconds and then we flicker in and out either we sleep or we wake up um, but it was like I was stuck there for what felt like you know hours and hours and that was such a bizarre experience um, and it, it does make me think of I mean I'm I'm very much a proponent of using plant medicines in a conscious method for attaining like altered states of consciousness or for using them for connecting with um, with spirits or with, you know, other planes of, of consciousness. And that I think that was one of the first experiences that made me feel that way, because it really felt like, wow, I can tap into something here that, um, you know, I normally just don't have access to. Yeah. So that was just a. Absolutely. It's uh, it's playing on your nervous system. And there's so many different things that over the years, humans have realized they can tap into to get into that state, that trance state and that yeah. liminal state. You know, there's, I mean, obviously there's drumming, the, the drumming of shamanism, but then there's, um, there's exhaustion, right? I mean, you can dance yeah. for 36 hours <laughs> and enter that state when you're just completely zoned out. There's hunger, there's, uh, yeah. and, and then like, yeah, you have psychedelic plants, but then you also have uh, things like detura that have been used that are yeah. essentially poisoning yourself, right? You are causing mm. so much pain in your, in your body that you basically dissociate, right? So I mean, there's, there's so many different systems that have come up over the time to enter that liminal state, right? And, um, yeah. and absolutely. And sometimes it happens just, you know, while you're lying in bed. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So um, earlier, you were telling me that you had a, um, a very interesting house uh, that you visited while you were a child that gave you the heebie-jeebies. Uh, can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so it was my grandparents' house, my dad's parents' house. Um, it was, a, you know, a pretty, pretty old house. I guess it had been built um, towards the, the earlier part of the century, and it had quite a full history of my dad's family, you know, him and his brother growing up there, lots of people coming in and out, um, you know, a dog. Um, and it definitely was one of those houses that you you kind of, you feel that history in it when you step in. Um, and, you know, I was a pretty young kid, but I definitely picked up on that energy and I liked it. For the most part, I, I really liked the energy of that house. Um, and it was so different from my apartment life at home, which was mm -hmm. very sterile, I think, in comparison. Mm -hmm. um, but there were some aspects about it that were scary. Um, so one, actually, I didn't mention this, I think, but one was the basement. So I think that's a very typical thing that people or kids are scared of the basement, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but it kind of reminded me of uh, Jacqueline's story of the house that she grew up in with that basement. Because um, when she described that, I was like, oh, I know exactly what that feeling is like. Mm -hmm. um, very similar, like raw stone walls and dampness. Like there was always a dampness problem. Um, and there were basically no lights down there. So it was just um, 
it was just um, always dark. And instead of a stable and like in Jacqueline's house, there was a furnace room, which was kind of similar because oh, yeah. um, it was this cavernous room with like, these pipes and boilers. And I, you know, I don't know, some, maybe some boxes being stored there. Um, and I also definitely thought, I didn't think of it as a witch, but I definitely thought that there was something down there. Unquestionably, oh, something lived in that furnace room specifically. And I did not want to go into that furnace room. Um, and I, I would not go unless, you know, someone was with me for a good reason. Um, I remember I had this magic wand that I made out of, um, like, uh, a stick and some Christmas wrapping paper. And I really liked that magic wand. Uh, but for some reason, people stored it downstairs, like, in a box in the, like, with the other Christmas ornaments in that, in that furnace room. And I remember, like, having to go get it. And I really, I did not like it that they had put, had put my wand down there. Um, but anyway, so there was the creepy basement mm -hmm. um, with some kind of definitely dark energy or what I perceived as dark. Um, and on the second floor landing, there was a painting um, that uh, on your suggestion, I, I later I talked to my dad and looked it up. And it turns out it was actually a, you know, a rather a rather nice painting. It was a somewhat famous 19th century artist, um, oil painter. Mm -hmm. um who did subject subject paintings so lots of different um you know people in different occupations things like that mostly um and this painting was of a tailor so it was a man who was sitting on the ground cross-legged and i guess doing some work with you know sewing something um and i honestly i don't don't remember i can't really see it i can't see the his face in my mind but i can feel it mm. um and this painting just terrified me um it was his gaze because he was he was looking at you and there was really something quite demonic about his gaze. Um, and you had to really cross this painting anytime you went to these anywhere on the second floor or the third floor. And our bedrooms were on the third floor. So, you know, every night you had to walk past this painting and every morning to go down to breakfast, you had to walk past this painting. So it kind of became a joke. My dad, you know, would like carry me past it and like protect me as we went by and stuff like that. Um, I think my parents thought it was funny that I was scared of it. I don't I don't think they thought it was scary, um, but I was genuinely quite scared of it. I remember like on the rare occasions I had to go past it myself, especially at night. Like I really I was like really praying that it it didn't something bad didn't happen because it just it, it it didn't feel nice um yeah so there was that painting and then the last thing in that house i think was um there was a um a sewing room mm -hmm. um so it was sort of not used anymore by the time i was able to interact with it but it had been i guess used as yeah a place where i guess the 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 ladies would sit and sew or <laughs> hang out i'm not really sure honestly what um what it was used for so much i think at some point somebody slept in there um but at this when i got to it it was just it was a basically um not used and it was just it was such a quiet peaceful room um and it was such a different energy than for example the basement or that painting um it was just this incredibly peaceful calm like if you imagine like sunlight's coming in through the window and you see those dust motes kind of dancing in the air mm -hmm. it's like that kind of quiet warmth um and it just felt like they were really um benevolent ghosts in there um i remember as a kid being like there are a lot of ghosts in the sewing room <laughs> um but like not in a scary way i was like mm -hmm. i want to i want to hang out with them like i would sometimes just you know pop my head in there and just kind of hang out in that room for a couple minutes um just to kind of be in that energy because it just felt nice. Um, felt like, you know, like benevolent great aunts or something were like sitting in the rocking chairs and just kind of like 
you know, making some tea or like they would just come and stroke your hair or something. Um, just like a nice place to be. Um, so again, I never really had like any crazy experience there, but it was just a very strong feeling. Um, and again, it's like when you're a kid, you don't question these things. You just know them, right? As an adult, mm-hmm. you start to I think, question these feelings more um, if you if you have them when you walk into a house. But as a kid, you just it's not a question. It just that's just the way it is. Yeah. It's it's very curious that you were picking up on three very different energies throughout that house. You know, it wasn't just like you were yeah. creeped out by the house and you're just creeped out and met in different places. Like there was a place that you had nice, calming, healthy energy and then an area that was intimidating and then sounds like the basement was just creepy. So that's, that's well, and I mean, I could go on. I mean, like every single room in that house had a different energy and they all, they all were somewhere on this spectrum. Those are just the places that stood out the most, but some of the rooms had a sadness to them for sure. Mm. And some of them were a little bit scary. Um, like the, the garden shed I didn't like, I thought the garden shed was also scary. Um, and like my grandparents' bedroom felt sad to me. Um, and you know, like each of the rooms just kind of had this, this different feeling to it, but those were the ones that stood out the most. Yeah, definitely. And, and it's curious because you pick up on those personalities or these energies to these rooms and it definitely sounds like you pick up on those kind of personalities with objects as well. And I think this is where we can get into your your animism, because uh, that that certainly has been a, a feature for you and your life, right? It started when you were young. Yeah, yeah. Again, it's one of those things you don't you don't question, you don't think about, because it just is. That's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting. I'd never thought about connecting the two, but I think feeling the presence in a room is just an extension of feeling the presence of objects. Because mm-hmm. assuming there's no one in that room, right? You're just feeling the collective energy of the walls, the paintings, the furniture, the carpet. You know, anything that's in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've definitely both of those like. Um, I love um, going to other people's houses because I think it's fascinating to feel the different energies because you just you feel it right away, you know. Um, and I think, again, that's just an extension of feeling the objects. Um, but, yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know how else to explain it other than that objects are alive to me. They most mostly some some objects are, are less alive than others. But, you know, typically any object that's um, cared for or important to somebody um, and definitely organic things. Um, so, you know, um, things like, uh, things that are made out of wood or maybe fabric as opposed to like plastic, um, mm-hmm. plastic, I think is the, the material that resonates the least with me. Um, but yeah, you can always, um, you can always feel it. And sometimes it's a very strong feeling. I think, especially if it's an object, for example, like a stuffed animal or a piece of art that sort of consciously like the maker's put some energy into, for example, let's make this stuffed animal cute. Um, or the owners put some energy into, um, for example, you know, let's play with this stuffed animal. Let's, let's give it a background story or mm-hmm. with an art piece of art. It's like, again, the artist, you know, put a story into that, put an intention into that. Um, so those kind of things, yeah, you, you can pick up on them. Like no, no question. You don't even have to try. Um, other things, I think you have to sit with them a little bit longer. Um, but you can usually pick up on something. Yeah, there, there's always something there. Well, it's it's fascinating that, yeah, you're picking up on that these organic things, it's like there's always something in them, right? And But then with artificial, you're really picking up on when energy has been putting into it, when I, when thoughts and meaning have been placed into it by the owners, right? So it's uh, a plastic bottle might not necessarily have the same energy as a, a well-cared-for, hairbrush <laughs> yeah that's, that's yeah 
absolutely. Cool. And so you actually went on to uh, do a, a thesis on this. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't intending to do it. It just sort of happened. But I, I did an MFA in um, drawing and printmaking at the wonderful New York Academy of Art, um, which is in uh, Tribeca in New York. And um, it was a, you know, it was a great experience. I loved my classmates. I loved my teachers. I really learned a lot. But I was so overwhelmed by New York. I think New York is a very difficult city to be in for anyone who's sensitive, mm -hmm. like uh, energetically sensitive. And it was actually interesting, just a slight diversion. But um, when I talked to my classmates about this, people split it into two categories very strongly. People either loved New York and loved that hustle bustle, chaotic, in your face, aggressive energy, or like me, they were driven crazy by it and they actually got sick, including me. Um, I know several people who got random chronic illnesses, infections, um, all kinds of strange health conditions um, that just came out of nowhere just because of their environment, essentially. And part of that, I think, for me was that there's just so much stuff in New York. They don't have alleyways. Um, so trash gets put on the street rather than in alleys and dumpsters. Mm -hmm. um, and there's trash everywhere. So you're walking down the street. And this is downtown. It's one of the richest neighborhoods, right, in, um, in the city. Lots of celebrities live there. And there's just there's trash everywhere underfoot constantly. Um, and it started to feel like being bombarded by by all this energy of all this stuff. And the trash in particular just makes me so sad because it's like like the definition of trash is something that somebody thought was so worthless that they couldn't even bother to give it a proper burial. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, sure, we have to say goodbye to things sometimes. But if you care about it at all, you're going to put it at least in the trash. Uh, but this is stuff that people don't even care about to the point where, no, it just, you know, it just goes on the ground, let alone thinking about what it does to other people or the environment or whatever. Um, and so my thesis project um, was kind of, I guess, a, a way of coping with that, uh, what I was struggling with. And I basically just um, explored the themes of animism in objects, but specifically trash or things that people would perceive as trash. Um, because I think that's a pretty common experience for me that I see something and other people will see it as, again, trash or something meaningless or worthless. But I really see something um, something in there, uh, especially if it's had any kind of long term connection with an owner. But even if it's just, you know, like a candy wrapper on the street, like I still to me, I feel something there. So that was kind of my thesis um, yeah, there was, there was a paper and then obviously artwork that accompanied it, but just the idea that, yeah, there's, there's something in there, um, that most of us are ignoring, but for me, it's real. Fantastic. Wow. That's, uh, that's quite an interesting idea. And how was the, how was that received by your peers and by your, uh, by your advisors and such? Yeah, it was surprisingly well-received. Um, my advisor actually, um, I think sort of, uh, resonated with it on a personal level because he said that his mother was kind of a pack rat. And so um, that that gave a whole new kind of sense of meaning to that experience. Um, and yeah, I think I think overall, um, it, I think it's one of those things where like, for some people, it's just they're not going to get it. You know, mm -hmm. that's just the way it is. They're just not going to see it or not be interested. But for the people that did get it, I think it, it did resonate with them. Um, and honestly, that made me feel a little bit better because I didn't feel, you know, as crazy. I was like, okay, well, not everyone gets me, but this handful of people does get me. And the people who are in that handful of people, 
you know, we're, we're kind of in the same boat. We get each other. I'm not crazy. So that was, that was a good like confirmation experience, I think. (laughs) Wonderful. Wonderful. That's how it always is, right? You can't, you can't please everybody, but you can find, you can find the others that actually (laughs) have some resonance with you for sure. Wow. And, uh, and, uh, you've been doing a bit of a project of bringing people together lately, haven't you? With, uh, with tarot. Uh, can you tell us uh, about that? That's such a, a cool project you've been working on. Yeah. Um, so this was, again, just a, the fruit of some crazy synchronicities that happened at the beginning of the year, um, but decided to just kind of go with it um, and embrace it. And it's been pretty awesome. Uh, basically, the idea is me and a friend are um, doing a new version of the Thoth Tarot. Um, sort of an updated version for um, a newer modern age that's a little bit less dark and um, attempts to kind of lighten some of the symbology and also be a little more open and acceptive um, towards um, just people of different backgrounds and, and beliefs and things like that. Um, and the coolest part about it is every card in the deck is done by a different artist. So I did one card. Um, Jacqueline will be doing another card. Um, and we have a bunch of other, yeah, awesome people that basically we just picked out of our friend networks off the internet. Um, but it's been cool, really cool to see that come together and all the synchronicities behind the people who are joining the project. Yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, I know Jacqueline had some synchronicities with it. And, uh, so what are the, some of the cooler synchronicities that you've run into so far? Um, in general or related to the, the tarot project? Oh, just the, uh, the tarot project for now. With the Terror Project. Yeah. yeah. Well, it definitely seems like everybody coming on board, almost everybody has like was like, oh, this is wild because X, Y, Z, you know, like something mm-hmm. has just happened that um, that that me- makes this meaningful. Like a lot of people have an interest in Thoth to, to begin with or some personal connection with Thoth. Um, some people have been like, oh, I was literally just about to do my own Thoth deck. Um, and definitely, yeah, the wildest synchronicity was my friend um, who she's not even like really a tarot person or, or a visual artist per se, but for some reason I felt compelled to reach out to her and she was very enthusiastic about joining. And she said, this is crazy because right before you you reached out to me, um, the two people that I've been hanging out with the most, um, like, you know, every day, my two best friends right now, in quarantine um one of them their name is lila so that's like my name lila but with one letter missing um and the other person's name is thoth um so i thought that was a truly wild coincidence because the odds of both of those are very rare names and then the odds of that yeah coming together and everything that seemed like a pretty pretty clear message there yeah the universe telling you you're doing something right for sure that's fantastic so I think we're coming up on our time here, but uh, do you have another maybe 10, 15 minutes or do you have to run? Oh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm good on time. Yeah. Okay. Oh, perfect. Well, then one thing that I'd like to talk to you about, you, uh, you actually recently uh, started uh, doing training with, uh, with Jacqueline in a, a shamanic apprenticeship. Yes. And uh, you've been finding that some, some odd things have been happening, some synchronicities uh, since you started. Um, are yeah. you comfortable sharing any of those? Yeah, absolutely. It's like, I don't even know where to begin, honestly. Um, do you want to give me like a, a more of a guidance on what kind of synchronicity to talk about? Because like so much crazy stuff has happened. Oh, um, I can just let you run with it it's, if, if you're comfortable with that. Um, what, what, what's the first thing sure. that comes to mind? Well, actually, I think because we were talking about the Tarot Project, the first thing that came to mind was a very funny um, 
a very funny synchronicity that happened with the the other person who's the, the organizer, co-organizer, co-leader of that project, mm-hmm. um, because I basically started that project right around the same time that I started working with Jacqueline. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it was like a huge, like big bang thing of like two big, you know, cosmic energies. And that really just jump started a lot of stuff for me. Um, but so one thing I've been noticing is that, um, so I'm a very like word oriented person. I love languages. Um, I love word play, vocabulary, sort of linguistic nerdiness. And I think, you know, the spirits notice that, right? They, 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 they speak to you in ways that you appreciate. So I have noticed that. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, I've noticed that I've gotten some kind of word play like that, which is, uh, which is really fun. Um, so right when I started this Thoth deck project, um, you know, a bunch of other synchronicities happened, but one thing that I just thought was so cool and so funny was, so my friend Lion, um, it's not his real name. That's his, uh, sort of his, uh, divinatory name or his, uh, his online presence name. Um, and his, uh, username at the time on Instagram was Lion Tarot, right? Like Tarot Reader. Yeah. Um, and I had always been reading in my mind as Lion Tarot. But suddenly it occurred to me, I was like, wait a second, because I'm half Japanese. And growing up, my mom's nickname for me was Daiyon Taro, which is like lion kid, because my hair was big and fluffy and she would make fun of my hair being like a mane. And I just realized that if I just put the stress on his name in a different way, like instead of lion terror, if I said lion tarot, right? Like that's literally Daiyon Taro. Like it was the exact, it's, it's like my mom's pet name for me. Um, so I was like, wow, that's wild. Um, and then the other thing, when I started thinking about it, I was like, his real name is Talon, like the talons of a, of a bird. Um, and right around that time I had just started to work with, um, with owl spirit and I was kind of still trying to figure out if that was a thing or not. Um, and so it was like this double whammy cause it was like, <laughs> on the one hand, he's like this pet name that my mom had for me for so long. And on the other hand, it was like this power animal that was coming through for me. Um, and then I think right around the same time, I also noticed that like on a zipper I had, the talon came up again. Like the zipper literally just said talon. I don't know why. Um, so that message came through really strongly. Yeah. Um, and I guess, um, well, like again, there've been so many crazy synchronicities, but to fast forward to a very recent one, um, I think this one really resonated with me because, um, I guess it's that it's that sense of um, any when you embark on any skill or any learning journey, right? In the beginning, you have like this huge rush of confidence. And then <laughs> as soon as you get past that initial rush, you're like a bunch of things come in and you start to doubt yourself and it starts to get complicated. And, you know, there's a lot of ups and downs. So I would say, you know, a couple months in now, I'm kind of in that up and down phase where um, I'm I'm really excited about it. And lots of good things have been happening. But also I've had a lot of like serious things to kind of shake my faith or just shake my confidence. Um, and in one of those moments, I guess when I was like kind of feeling down about stuff, um, I got a really nice sort of confirmation that I'm not, you know, making this stuff up, um, in the form of, um, basically what happened was I, this week with Jacqueline's program, I was, I had been working on, uh, connecting with the local spirit. So the spirit of the land that sort of watches over here. And it was a really unexpectedly rewarding experience. And I was sort of worried that I was making it up and it was egotistical and sort of arrogant of me, I guess, to 
imagine that this great spirit would be like grateful to me for for doing whatever Mm -hmm. so i was kind of worried that this was this was not a thing and it was just like my ego and that it was disrespectful of me um so i was just kind of putting out there like the intention of you know what can i do to help what can i even if it's just a gesture right like what can i do to um to just to 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 actually put something into this relationship um because i feel like i'm not doing anything um and i i don't deserve you know for you to be grateful to me for anything um and like the next day my friend um randomly tells me about how she does worm composting in her house um because i'd always thought of composting as like an outdoor thing Mm -hmm. um and i love the idea of composting but i live in an apartment so outdoor composting isn't really feasible um but she's like no 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 like you can you can do composting at home inside um and you know obviously she literally used the word like it's just a gesture because you know you can't do it on a large scale um but she's like you know I, i just like to do it because it makes me feel like even that little amount that I saved isn't going into a landfill, right? It's like, mm-hmm. it's just a nice gesture. And it's like, nice to have those worms in your house, have that energy in your house. And I was like, whoa, that's awesome. I want to do that. Um, so I, I like right away, I like <laughs> get on Amazon and I like buy my worm composting kit. Um, and because I did that, I cleaned up some stuff in the house to make room for the worm composting box. And I was like, okay, I got to finally get rid of this bicycle that's in the back of the house because I don't, I don't use it and I can sell it. And I want this worm compost box to have space. So I put up an ad on Facebook to sell my bike and somebody jumps on it who I haven't talked to in ages. Like this guy, you know, we, we were close maybe a year or two ago, but we haven't spoken in a long time. And I really never thought we'd be close again. Um, also Mercury, Mercury retrograde, probably bringing back those old connections. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we, we get to talking and he's like, I, this is great. I've been literally looking for this kind of bike. Like I want to have this for my, my van life. Um, so let's, you know, let's figure something out. And I'm like, Oh, awesome. Yeah. Like cool synchronicity. Yeah. I'm glad, you know, I'm glad you're, you're liking it. Cause honestly, no one else responded to this ad. So I was kind of like, I was like, oh, shoot, no one wants my bike. But he jumped on. He's like, this is exactly what I want. Um, and I'm like, OK, well, what, you know, what can what can we work out? Because I, I like trades um, rather than, you know, just money up front. Um, so we're trying to figure out. And I'm like, well, like I I would love to have like a like a table, like a nicer table or like a kind of a cabinet table thing uh, to use as an altar space, because um, that's something that I've been wanting is to have like a nicer, nicer altar, a more proper setting for that. And he's like, oh, well, I do woodworking now. Like this past year, I dove deep into woodworking and metalsmithing so I could literally make you a table. And I'm like, whoa, okay. Um, And so I check out his work and like he's actually really, really talented. Like this kid is crazy. He just, you know, in the course of a year, he just taught himself how to be like a master carpenter. Um, And long story short, basically he's making me a custom table, custom altar table. Um, and furthermore, he's, um, he, we, we had this conversation and it turns out, um, I didn't know this at the time when I, when I knew him, but he's actually like, he identifies also as being like a practicing witch. So it was just this really cool connection where like, I found out that this friend, um, that I had is actually, um, I guess part of the community that I'm identifying with now. And furthermore, they're making me this amazing custom altar table that's like you know beyond anything that i would have imagined being able to have for this space um and it just felt like a really nice confirmation that yeah like i'm i'm not making this stuff up and yeah i deserve 
to have these nice things. Cause I guess that's, that's been a, a big part of the insecurity for me, right? It's like mm-hmm. that, am I just, again, being egotistical and making this up and just like wanting nice things. Like I want a nice piece of furniture um, as opposed to having like that deeper um, proper, I guess you could say ambition for it. Um, that, that was just such a nice, um, a nice series of synchronicities um, after working with the spirit of the land. And also Jacqueline was pointing out that, yeah, in her experience, like spirit of the land seems to be a generous giver, right? Mm-hmm. Like they seem to, they seem to like to give you gifts um, if you work with them. So I thought that was an interesting, uh, yeah, an interesting note. Cause that really played into my experience as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, you're, you're putting out that intention there, right? And um, they're yeah. responding to it, right? I mean, you, you want to do something more. And so it's like, okay, this information about warm composting comes up, you follow it up, and then the blessings come, right? Like, okay, well, I need to get rid of this bike. Well, okay, let's get you an altar in exchange. And oh, let's bring in a friend to your life that you had no idea was part of this small community that it's very difficult to find someone in real life who is in it, right? So that is, uh, that's fantastic. When these things just flow, right? It's just, uh, it's just amazing how it comes together. Absolutely. Wow. And uh, for anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about with the spirit of the land, it's uh, essentially the, um, it's a consciousness that's watching over a particular geographical area. And um, you, know, you would have it, say, in a forest, you would have it in a marsh. It's, uh, it's, it's a consciousness that is a protector to the ecosystem and to that area. And of course, when you're in a city, you have a spirit of the land that is ancient and it was there before, long before the buildings were there and uh and yet it's still there watching over and of course it uh it'll be going through its own things and issues as uh, as the humans affect that yeah. local environment right yeah and yeah and i actually just to tie this back to my thesis in new york i thought it was an interesting loop back to that because i was so strongly affected by you know the trash situation in new york and i've always been affected by trash but when i started working with the spirit of the land here i realized like how horrible he feels or they feel you know just with the the trash and sort of the the lack of attention like nobody cares nobody pays attention um to the trash let alone to like the spirit itself right um, so that was, that was an interesting kind of confirmation of that, those feelings that I was having earlier too. Um, but like, a, it feels like I have a bit more of a, an outlet to deal with them now. Like, it's not just like nameless and faceless, you know, I can kind of put a, well, maybe not a name, but I can, I can put an energy to that. Um, and it feels like I'm helping more, even if I can't really still do much as a single person, but. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, every little bit helps. Right. And. And, yeah. And the other thing is that you probably are like one of the only people in that area who is paying attention to the not only the local spirits, but the yeah. local spirit of the land. Right. So that's that's yeah. something. Right. They will take notice of you if you take notice of them, because, you know, there might be a million yeah. or a couple million people living in a city. But the number of people that actually are aware is very, very low, very low. Um, yeah, and that was that was definitely part of the message that I was getting in the in the journeying assignment too was that really nobody and for for a long time for decades and decades and decades no one really has been has been working with them right mm-hmm. um, so that was honestly it was kind of like it was kind of sad in the beginning like it was a very sad energy um, <laughs> this you know this spirit that's just 
they because they're they're grounded here right like this is their Mm -hmm. place so they're not just going to move um but slowly getting just you know piled up with trash and concrete and all this stuff and not really not really anyone there to to offer them anything you know yeah yeah well i imagine that you're picking up on that same sentiment when you're living in new york as well just this this piling up of trash and i'm sure that the new york spirit of the land is uh pretty depressed as well i don't yeah i don't even want to i don't want to think about that yeah Um, yeah i mean honestly honestly that might be an interesting topic like to to put up on the discord or anything i don't know where everyone is in terms of their location but for those of us who do live in these big urban settings um like what what has been our experience with the spirit of the land and what are ways that we have found um that we can do something right like for example the worm compost box for me felt like a, a move in the right direction and like i try to pick up trash when i go outside now um but i would be super curious if there's you know other people in other urban locations similar to me, what has their experience been and what do they feel like their spirits have appreciated or have suggested to them? Mm -hmm. Um, Because I've definitely, like, I keep putting out there every day, like, hey, you know, let me know what I can do and I will do my best to do it. I just, I don't know. I genuinely don't know what I can do as one person. It's a, it's a, it's a very helpless feeling situation. Yeah. Unfortunately, it is. Like, there's no easy answers right because we're yeah. <laughs> we're only we're not that many people who are actually aware and involved about this but thankfully that ecological consciousness is coming back to people right like you can see yeah. it growing in the society that people do want to do more so hopefully in 30 or 40 years things are better right but uh yeah it'll take time for sure for sure but yeah that would be a very good um thing to talk to the uh in the student forum about because we have uh, i mean we have uh um students all over we have some in london we have some in uh yeah. south africa like just everywhere so that it'd be interesting to get a feel for the geographical differences of of land spirits yeah. for sure for sure yeah. so we're we're, we're coming I mean, up I... on time oh go ahead Oh, no, no, yeah, I was just going to say really quickly, like, I imagine these different, you know, land spirits, even if someone's in Australia, someone's in London, someone's in Chicago, like, sure, they have different consciousnesses based on those individual land areas, but I imagine there might also be more of kind of an overarching sort of commonality, right, that all these land spirits have, or, like, things that they all would appreciate. Um, And, I mean, maybe even one theme that's been coming up a lot for me recently is the idea of, like, this network, right, like, kind of like a global network, like, Mm -hmm. that is one thing that this new age and the internet is good for is that we can have these these global networks and so maybe there's some energy that we can put out there um as this like almost like a mycelium network right like there's not many of us but we're scattered we're we we cover the earth actually so Mm -hmm. if we can all just put out a little bit of the right things maybe that can actually make quite a strong yeah like a a network to, to cover the whole planet basically um and and try to give back or heal a little bit of um i guess the larger (laughs) collective damage yeah yeah well that that is how ideas spread for sure right and uh it has to start somewhere absolutely and uh, you know it feels good that the culture is going in this way and there's been such a huge pickup since uh covid19 started and people getting into this spiritual stuff that's one thing i've noticed there is just such an influx yeah. of people now who are getting into to witchcraft and into shamanism and and into tarot and all of this because they're <laughs> they're in their apartments and they they have nothing to do but to work on themselves right because it can be a very scary thing yeah. to suddenly be all by yourself and 
and have to to to, well, to be with yourself. And so they're definitely yeah. getting into these spiritual topics. And so that's 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 a thing to hope for as well. That yeah. as the you know they're always probably going to be a minority for a long time. But as that minority grows, it uh, it can cause some change for sure. Yeah. So do you have any closing? remarks or or things that you want to leave us with lila um nothing really except just you know thank you guys it's been really um it's been really a, a wonderful experience and a synchronicity in and of itself stumbling on you guys um and yeah i'm really it's like one of those things where like they talk about how your brain can't process a future vision of yourself more than like a year in advance six months or a year um so it's kind of impossible to really imagine where are you going to be in two years or something but it is a very exciting thought to me to think where will i be you know at the end of like this program with you guys um it really feels like um gonna go big places so yeah yeah thank you thank you you're studying a whole lot with us. You're studying the uh, shamanic apprenticeship program, and then you're also working on the, the spirit craft mentoring. So you're going to, yeah, yeah you're going to be quite, uh, quite capable at the end of this for sure. Um, it's quite a uh, intensive tour de force that you're going through right now. So that's wonderful for sure. Well, th- thank you so much, Lila, for joining us. Uh, this has been an amazing chat. Um, I really enjoyed the topics that were covered. Um, I think that your your animus tendencies and everything are just absolutely fascinating. And uh, I can't wait to see the tarot deck when, it, uh, when it's released. I think all those different energies from all these different artists is just going to be absolutely amazing. And it's going to be a strong deck. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, for sure. Uh, yeah. So thank you so much for, for coming through on our, uh, on our first set of interviews here. And this has been an absolute blast. Um, absolutely. Have a great day. And I have no idea how to sign off from one of these interviews. This is, uh, (laughs) I'm going to leave this in by the way. So, okay. Well, you have a great day and, uh, and take care. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, we'll be in touch. And I'm looking forward to seeing, um, it's exciting to be the first in a series of this, and I'm looking forward to seeing the other uh, the other podcast interviews that come out of this series. Absolutely. Thanks so much for joining us. <laughs>